1: I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to a special episode of Down to Business. For the next four weeks, we'll release an extra episode every week as part of a series called Strong and Free Shockproofing Canada. The post will examine how our country, made wealthy by globalization and trade, can protect itself against pandemics and other future shocks. How can Canada ensure some of our resources and economic power are reserved for our own security? Energy is the first topic we'll explore. Joining us is former Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall, now a special advisor with Osler, Harcourt and Hoskins LLP. We spoke about what energy self-sufficiency looks like for Canada and what the country needs to do to get there. In light of the current medical and economic crisis we're facing right now, do you think there's an appetite among Canadians and politicians here to embrace some self-sufficiency when it comes to the energy industry?
0: Well, more than that, I think there's a there's support for that kind of move uh, in a number of sectors. I think there's a greater awareness in Canada uh, about simply just buying local uh, and supporting local independent small businesses. I think the appreciation for for their availability, especially in smaller centers. I'm talking to you from from my hometown of Swift Current to be a good example. I think our appreciation to, for for these businesses and having what they do locally in our communities has only increased as we've been deprived of them now going on for more than two weeks, and with the prospect of that deprivation continuing indefinitely, it seems. So, I think there's a greater sensitivity about buying local, uh, about supporting businesses with a with a physical presence in a community. I think there will be an appetite as well for for sector. Uh, moves, energy sector moves, and government policy in the energy sector space that leads our country to a a place of greater self-sufficiency, or at least to a country that is ensuring that we're supporting our own energy sector before before we're importing oil from places like Saudi Arabia. That would be my hope. I hope it's not not a naive one. I do sense that there would be an a, a greater appetite for that, though.
1: Now, do you think that translates? I know the buy local thing has gotten a lot of traction over the past few years um, when it comes to things like food, when it comes to things like small businesses, but it hasn't seemed to translate to energy. You often hear people in Alberta, Saskatchewan saying, look, we make this here and yet... Places in eastern Canada still rely on places like Saudi Arabia to get their oil. What do you think needs to happen for the provinces to work together to create some sort of national energy plan, if that's what we would go for?
0: Well, firstly, I would say that if you looked at polling prior to the last federal election uh, in late summer, early fall of 2019, you saw consensus, I would say. Uh, major polls showing that Canadians, regardless of where they lived, wanted this kind of an approach to energy, wanted Canada to, as, a, as a country and, and its government to support the oil and gas sector, to support pipelines. Uh, we saw support for, for Kinder Morgan actually increase and in, be in majority territory in the lower mainland. It's backed off a bit as, as the cost for the pipeline to the taxpayer now that the government had to nationalize it has have been, have been moving up. But we've seen in a general sense a move towards support from, I think, from Canadians. For a lot of provinces, I think their premiers and governments and the, and the federal government actually has to catch up to where Canadians are with respect to supporting the energy sector. I think we have seen a movement there. You know, I, I think that the challenge for us is, and I don't mean to single any particular province out, but the challenge is the where there perhaps is the weakest support and maybe even slight majority opposition to a, something like a pan like a, a pan Canadian pipeline or, or oil and gas in general is in Quebec. You know the part of our country that that relies on foreign oil today uh, is the eastern part of the country. And if we were to fix that problem, we need to get Western Canadian oil there. And of course, um, you can't do that without going through. If it's a pipeline, you can't get get that do that without going through Quebec, and, and that is the problem. What needs
1: to be done to get Quebec on board?
0: Well, I I think what's working here in the last... I'd say year or so, or two years, as the industry itself and governments, out uh, provincial governments in Western Canada, have become alive to this, to to the need to to sell a Canadian oil and a gas sector to other Canadians. I, I think, by the way, that that probably caught the industry flat-footed years ago. I, I think they would, we would have thought out here. Well, I mean, Saudi Arabia oil versus oil from Swift Current, this uh, in Southwest Saskatchewan. Here we are an oil-producing region as well. I think people here would think, what Canadian would would even question whether or not we needed to do what we needed to do in terms of a pipeline to make sure that we're Canadians are using oil from my my hometown's region versus a place like Saudi Arabia. Fact of the matter that uh, is that that uh, that effort that marketing effort that engagement was needed and it has been happening and I think we need to continue doing that and we're not going to convince the Premier of Quebec to flip on his position of no pipelines from the west coming through his province unless and until he senses that the people of Quebec think that that's the right thing to do and so the efforts of engagement and av- advocacy on the part of of uh, the industry itself and of maybe provincial governments out here that have that that do want to see the the energy sector develop, that effort has to be redoubled and continued to connect directly with other Canadians so that they're telling their provincial governments look this why would we stop a pipeline so that uh, so that parts of our country are dependent on foreign oil when when Canada has it in great supply. And I, you know, again, I hope this isn't naive, but I think that effort has been working and I think we need to continue to do that. That's a little bit about, you know, that sort of, I guess, I think we all have to do a better job. We have to redouble our efforts in this respect. We have to remind all of our fellow citizens of the huge uh, impact of the oil and gas sector on our economy, that it is our number one uh, export, that it's uh, 10% of our GDP, half a million jobs, five times greater contributor to GDP than the auto sector. And that was a sector that was worthy, obviously, of an economic aid package in 2009. Canadians supported it. So we need to be able to make the strong statistical and maybe hope, and a bit of an emotional case to other Canadians about the importance of, of a Canadian strategy. And uh, that strategy, by the way, that speaks to the fact that a country with the third's greatest oil reserves on Earth shouldn't be buying oil from anyone from any other country.
1: Now, how do you think this pandemic crisis is going to affect that opposition that we do still have, Um, whether it's from people who are opposed to the oil and gas industry for environmental reasons, whether it's for indigenous land rights issues, there is still that opposition from some parts of the country we do have this sort of double whammy effect on our oil industry right now but you also see less consumer demand for the product that that most people do use from this you know as people aren't traveling so i'm wondering what what do you how does that balance out
0: yeah, I, I mean, who knows, really? We're in such uncharted territory here, and it's very hard for anyone to try to guess where, where all of this will end. Uh, but here's a few thoughts, I guess. I think the short-term impacts are pretty clear. It's uh, There's a double whammy here. There's COVID and the, its impact on reduction in oil demand for oil and gas and, and uh, what that's meant to price. And then there's also this, uh, this knife fight between the Saudis and the Russians that's caused uh, an even greater, more precipitous decline in the price of WTI. You know, We have very low prices that would speak to a challenging times for the sector just to continue to stay in operation, never mind the extra and hard work of engaging uh, with the rest of the country to, to try to have a more national approach to and a more self-sustained approach to energy. That's the short term. I think, though, in the midterm, maybe the longer term, this crisis, this pandemic has showed Canadians, showed citizens of the world, really, that self-sufficiency is not a bad thing in case there's a crisis that's a that's a maybe a hard thing to plan for or do when a crisis seems far away and remote and not very likely but on the other side of one that has been as severe as this and has shut literally shut the world down I think you'll have countries looking for ways to make sure their supply chains and just generally their self-sufficiency in a number of areas is is much better than than it has been
1: what does self-sufficiency look like when it comes to energy in Canada
0: that we don't import any more oil or natural gas. I think it also means, though, that we're in all of the above nation. And what I mean by that is that we should be supportive of and promoting all the different sources of energy, renewables. Um, you know, hydro, which really is a renewable, but it's base load renewable. It's unique in that respect. Saskatchewan mines and exports between ten and fifteen percent of the uranium in the world, and we have three premiers and premiers: Mo, um, Premier Ford, and and uh, Higgs. Who signed an MOU to support small modular reactor technology in Canada? SMRs, the nuclear side. So I think uh, self-sustained, a more independent and, and robust energy policy would be a would end in a Canada not needing to import any fossil fuels, but also have a uh, very uh, have a sort of a global leadership position as an all of the above energy nation.
1: I want to talk a bit more about the spat between the Russians and the Saudis right now. It's really hurting Canada's oil patch, as well as the shale oil business in the United States. How do you think North American producers overcome this right now when there is this glut of supply on the market? There is low prices and it is more expensive to extract oil in North America. What, what does this mean for the continent's oil and gas sector?
0: There's a couple things there. One, governments can engage in reacting with trade policy. And I think Premier Kenny has been right to suggest to the federal government and to take actions himself that Canada needs to be working with the United States and Mexico on a North American response to the fact that the Saudis are dumping oil into, well, all over the world, but here in, in, in our, on our continent in a predatory way in terms of price. We see some talk about a tariff. I think all of that sort of you know, needs to be on the table in the short term. The government of Canada, I believe, needs to support our sector. There's oil companies now that have real liquidity issues. These are existential uh, issues for them, and the government can help with liquidity loans for those that uh, for the healthy companies that we know are going to be able to to pay them back. It could it could perhaps look at uh, um, allowing oil companies to bring forward their tax pools.
1: You know, with this current glut of oil on the market and what we're seeing around the world. Is there even going to be an export market for Canada to serve going forward as we're looking to the government to help this industry? Is this going to help it in the long haul or is this just a band-aid?
0: No, there's a very long runway ahead of the, uh, uh, even Even if you subscribe to the view that oil and gas are just now a sort of a transition source of energy. In other words, that the world is moving away from oil and gas and one day there will, won't be demand for it. Uh, The International Energy Agency and almost every other forecaster I've seen is still talking about increases, I mean, this current decrease and temporary decrease to COVID notwithstanding. They're all forecasting an increase in demand through to 2050. So Canada has to decide if they're going to be a part of that. If you've got the world demanding more oil and gas for the foreseeable future, and you have a lot of oil and gas, and you are a responsible and sustainable producer, it would be my view that it would behoove a government to say no we, we, Canada should be and wants to be a part of that, especially given its huge impact for our Canadian
1: economy. When it comes to questions about how Canada and the U.S. should work together, whether that's a matter of tariffs or of deciding to regulate supply, what do you think about relying on the U.S. in this situation. You know, as we've seen from President Trump throughout this pandemic, there's been kind of an every country for itself attitude. The U.S. has shown some reluctance on exporting masks made in the U.S. to Canada on that front. How strong do you think this alliance can be given that rise in protectionism that we're seeing in places all over the world?
0: Well, I think the, the rise in protectionism that you're talking about is very much related to health and public safety matters on the parts of government, and it's not excusable, but that's where the focus has been. I do think there's an appetite, certainly in North America, and certainly on this issue of Saudi, the Saudis' predatory dumping practices for for the three governments of the uh, of the USMCA to get together and, and have a coordinated approach, whether it's tariffs or just restrictions or whatever it is, or just the threats thereof, which already seem to have... Russians and the Saudis and OPEC back at the table. I do think that's important. In the meantime, each government's going to have to do what it's going to do for its sector. And and I think our our federal government can help with liquidity issues. It needs to help with liquidity issues for oil and gas companies. As Minister Morneau has already committed to, it can deploy and resource in a well-abandonment cleanup program, which has a good environmental impact and puts energy workers back to work completing wells that have been abandoned. So there's a number of Short-term measures each government can take, but they can certainly work together on a strategy to deal with what's happening between the Russians and the the Saudis.
1: When it comes to long-term measures, we've seen both Ottawa and Alberta step forward with support for two big pipeline projects, Ottawa supporting the Trans Mountain pipeline expansion and Alberta uh, putting some money behind the Keystone XL pipeline. Do you think part of Canada's energy strategy going forward will require government money when it comes to building
0: pipelines? hey, I, I do think if there's government in, in the future that government support for First Nations equity participation in pipelines would be a big help. I think First Nations ownership and partnership in these pipelines would commend them to approval. Uh, and so there may be a role for government there. But you know, it really all does depend on two things, on price, real price. That's an important signal for, for private companies to build a pipeline, but also the regulatory environment. So You know, if government doesn't like the prospect of having to put its money in or the people's money in for a pipeline to get done, you know, they can look in their own backyard and say, well, maybe we need to change Bill C-69. Maybe we need to make sure the regulatory environment is robust and protected where it needs to be for the environment and for, for, for all stakeholders that it's reasonable and predictable and there's certainty. And where there are those things, when, when and if we get a price signal, I say when, not if, you wouldn't necessarily need taxpayers used as involuntary venture capitalists to, to invest in pipelines.
1: What about a strategic oil reserve? Is that something we need? The U.S. has a program like that. Countries around the world, uh, including China, have these big reserves of oil. Canada doesn't have that. Is that something we need to start building in order to grapple with any future supply shocks from pandemics or other events?
0: Well, this sounds very parochial, and I don't mean it to be, and I don't mean it to sound glib, but I would offer that Western Canada doesn't. Western Canada has a very non-strategic oil reserve right now. In other words, we'd like to be able to sell more than, than we do. And uh, it would be quickly accessible whether to be some sort of external uh, threat or emergency. We are, we can, you know, the United States to a lesser extent needs its strategic reserve because it's become energy sufficient prior to the the oil and oil sufficient, oil independent here recently. And um, if it ever moves back to its previous position of relying on exports, you can see how they would very much strategically need uh, to have a, a, a reserve. Places in Canada... Um, that are are reliant on foreign oil and therefore vulnerable to some sort of international event that interrupts the supply of fossil fuels, they might have take a different view of what is needed.
1: So it's that east-west
0: divide again? And it's not necessarily even an east-west divide as much as it is, are you re- are you reliant on foreign governments or, or other countries for your oil supply? And if you are, then you need to be concerned perhaps about the strategic reserve. And if you're not, uh, then less so.
1: How do you think LNG factors into this? You know, there has been some positive movement for Canada's uh, LNG industry. You know, how do how does Canada make the case for LNG as part of its energy strategy going forward?
0: Well, credit the federal government on LNG. At least they've been supportive, uh, and I think they, they they've been more supportive of it because they see it uh, as a, sort of a hand in glove of a climate change plan. If it if LNG presents the opportunity to displace coal production in Asia, for example, then, then it fits well with the climate change strategy, even though it's a fossil fuel. And I know that for some in the current government, that's still not clean enough. It just would like to sort of they're sort of imagining a world now where there isn't fossil fuels, even though it's strange we live in a northern country. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure how that would all work out in the nearer the uh, midterm, but. I, I do think there's great support to their credit for LNG. There is provincial support for it. And I, I guess now, as we come out of COVID, we'll just have to see in terms of worldwide demand. You know, I think there was an article out I read from the WTO forecasting a dramatic drop in world trade. We're going to head into a period of, of low economic activity and a, probably a recessionary time. And so, in that term, in the shorter term, demand for any form of energy is going to be lower than it otherwise would. But the opportunity uh, long term is still very much there. And I sense that Canada can be a big part of that. And their government, which normally doesn't seem to like fossil fuels, seems to be able to hold its nose and support LNG. I
1: mean, do you think it's a good way to get Quebec on board? Obviously, they have more of an LNG industry.
0: Well, you know, you'd think Um, they've got, you think it would. I And I hope that's the case. I think there's still a a big part of that province that just wants nothing to do with any fossil fuels. It certainly wants nothing to do with any fracking, if there's related fracking that's required.
1: Fair enough. And then one final question for you. You know, this conversation has kind of, it's made me think of how we're talking about protectionism versus globalization in in a larger sense. You know, Canada is a trading nation. We do rely on our oil and gas industry as our largest export, supports half a million jobs. And at the same time, we're talking about, okay, how can we protect ourselves, how can we batten down the hatches and make sure Canada is self-reliant in this way? How do you think we balance these two conflicting or seemingly conflicting ideas as we move forward?
0: Well, just in, in respect of oil and gas, I don't think there's the, the ideas are necessarily conflicting. And here's why I would say that. We, we're, we have the third greatest oil reserves on Earth, so we can do both. We can have a plan for complete energy independence and self-sufficiency and be a leading global exporter, period. We just can were. We've we've done it, and the the math works out. The numbers are clear. Uh, We can easily satisfy our demand and be a part of the global scene. I do think, to your point, though, that this has got nations inward-looking. And if there was a move, sort of a global move, to not erase borders but make them less onerous, Uh, and maybe more porous around the world, especially in Europe, I I think that this uh, this will change things. I think countries are a bit more introspective and and want to find, as we we talked about this off the top, they'll want to find ways to be more independent and self-sufficient. And I, I don't necessarily think that means that you completely turn your back on the importance of trade, because prior to globalization, if it's been a trend for the last few decades, Canada was by and large a free trading country, but uh, and so are other nations of the world, with some some exceptions. There was consider, you know, I think reasonably liberalized trade, and yet I, I, I think to the extent that there were still protectionist sentiments in countries, that could have been those were satisfied by by specific measures that different governments took. So I do think that your your point well made that there might be a change coming, but I, I still, from Canada's perspective, the world's going to need what we have, what we continue to offer. The fastest growing economies of the world want energy security and food security, one and two or two and one, depending on where they are on the list. And given our prodigious uh, production from modern agriculture and the fact that we are in all of the above energy country, those are two foundational sectors for us to build upon in terms of, uh, of exports and global trade. And, uh, and that's why I'm very optimistic about uh, about the longer term as we move away from this particular pandemic crisis.
1: So we can have our self-sufficiency and our exports in this in this ideal world. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time.
0: Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
1: That was former Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall speaking from Swift Current. Next week on Shockproofing Canada, the topic is food. Just how secure is our food supply chain? A question on a lot of minds as empty grocery store shelves become a familiar sight in stores across the country. You can read our series on Shockproofing Canada at www.financialpost.com. I'm Emily Jackson, and until next week, thank you for listening.